Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to Letterboxd Recap from Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. In this weekly episode, James and I discuss what we watched so far this past week. I stepped my game up for Letterboxd Recap number six this week. I have eight logged films. Whoa, that's impressive. That's and, nice. And of course, we have some of the same ones, but I, I believe the last film I did was June 25th at the end of Recap number five, and that was Ford vs. Ferrari. So starting with June 27th on... Eight movies logged. Now, I have ten movies logged. Ten? <laughs> yeah. God damn it. I can't beat this guy. Those are some nice numbers, though. They're rookie numbers, but they're I'm nice. To, I'm trying to bump them up. <laughs> trying to get those numbers up, dude. Now, before we start our recap, we're going to react to five fans in their letterbox top four. Well, who we got? So first, we have Austin Butterfield Gill. And Austin's top four. Austin's from Australia. They have Interstellar, La La Land, Prisoners, and Call Me By Your Name. My kind of person. That's some great Austin, that's some great I taste. would love to watch a movie with you. That is excellent selection a- excellent. of favorites. Yeah, those, those are really great. I mean, I love every one of those. And they're like four of, like I think some of the, if you're going to put a list of best films of the last 15 years, they're all on that list. Absolutely. All of them. So, wow. Hell great. yeah. Great, great job, Great top Austin. four. Love it, Austin. Next up, we have Dylan Workus. Dylan's top four are. Sorry. Back to the Future. Sorry, the, it, they had a custom poster. It's hard to read. Back to the Anthony Future. Anthony doesn't read too good. Okay, Reagan. Surf's up, bruh. <laughs> Dumb and Dumber. In Silence of the Lambs. What an eclectic array of films. Wow. I, I like it. it. I like it. A little bit of everything. It's unpredictable. Well, I like that. I love how it's just like some cool movies that are super fun and just like great watches for yeah. just having it in, like super entertaining. Then just dropping Silence of the Lambs like right there. Throwing the surfs up in there, brah. Love it. Fantastic. Next up, we have uh, we have uh, Courtney from the B-Cricks. Great movie podcast as well. She has Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Jurassic Park, Midsummer. And Pride and Prejudice. Oh yeah, I love this. What a great list. The thing with the Harry Potters is, I, I'm I can't put any of them in my top ten because the whole top ten would be like four Harry <laughs> Potter movies because I've they're like my most watched movies of all time, so it's hard to just put one in like my top four, top five. Yeah, but, but Prisoner of Azkaban is easily the best Harry Potter film. In objectively, it's the best made. Yeah, it's um probably the second most watched for me mm-hmm. of the Harry Potter films. Uh, Order's probably the least watched I've... It's my least favorite one, so I've seen Order the least. And then number one, I've seen the most. I think Chamber is my favorite still, though. It's always between Chamber, Prisoners, and Half-Blood Prince, but Chamber I love. That's why I got the You like snakes. That's why I got the big poster. It's a monster movie. It's the scariest one. It's because there's so much Slither and shit in it, isn't Oh, yeah, baby. Isn't that why? That's why. Oh, yeah, it's so dark. That's why. Dark and spooky, kid. (laughs) (laughs) Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Then we have Liz from the B-Movie, the B-Critics podcast. And Liz has Legally Blonde, Spice World, the Birdcage, and Twilight New Moon. You got into Harvard Law? 
Like it's hard. <laughs> I love the selections. Yeah, I love this. Spice World was good too. I remember seeing that. I'm sorry. Legally Blonde is just such a delightful movie. It's still one of the best comedies of like the last 30 years. It's just iconic. I have what, what never. What year did that come out? The 90s? Or is it 2000? Maybe. Is it 2000? Maybe like 2000, 2001? Something like that. I've never seen The Birdcage though. That's the, to... Isn't that the Sandra Bullock one, right? No, oh, no, no. That's, no, just, that's just Birdcage. Bird I don't think anyone has that in their top four. <laughs> Netflix is like, yeah, yeah. We, we, we know. Yeah. <laughs> what movie? Yeah, we didn't make oh, that. So this is Robin Williams, Nathan Lane, Gene Hackman, Diane West. Whoa, what, what a, a cast. cast. Jinx. A gay cabaret owner and his drag queen companion agree to put up a false straight front so they can so that their son can introduce them to his fiance's right ring right wing moralistic parents. It sounds fun. I kinda wanna Yeah, I wanna, I wanna see check this that now. out. I like. I'm gonna add this to my watch list. Thanks, Liz. Next up, we have Carter. 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 Now, Carter also just joined our Patreon. Wow! Thanks, Carter. So thanks, Carter. Patreon.com/slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. You're the best. Get access to weekly chat. And Carter has some heavy hitters on his top four. We have There Will Be Blood. Oh yeah. Goodfellas. Oh yeah. Arrival. Oh my God. And Dogtooth. Dude. What a list! What a list! What a, I love every one of those movies so yeah. much. I love that you have Dogtooth on the list because nobody has. No, very few people talk about that movie. I still remember when you showed me that movie when we were what, like eighteen. I was like, yeah. "What the fuck yeah, is this never movie?" Seen, yeah, I've like never it. seen anything like it before in my mm-hmm. life. Yeah, but what a stacked list! I Absolute love that you got a rival on there too. Oh yeah, big time, big time. Thanks again, Carter. Next up for the last one today, we have Will Swifty. Hey, Soul Swifty. <laughs> that's his, that's his uh, full username. username. Yeah, hey, Soul Swifty. Uh, he also says, "When I grow up, I want to be a chair in a cinema." <laughs> Pretty funny. <laughs> now, his top four is A Knight's Tale, The Gentleman, oh, yeah. Before Sunrise, and Almost Famous. I love it. Great list. Got some good '90s movies in there. I love your taste. I really some do. Some great '90s. Knight's Tale, it. dude. Knight's Tale, man. We should do that movie sometime. Well, we're going to do 10 Things I Hate About You soon. Oh, yeah. We so we're going to get that. Heath in there, too. Yeah. So Heath and Julia Stiles, dynamic duo. They're great together. Yeah. Thank you for enter- for submitting all of your top fours, everyone. And we'll read five more next week on the next episode of Letterboxd Recap. Now, let's get into what we've been watching. You go first because you have more than me. So we'll Sounds start good, with man. you and end with you. Sounds good. I'm happy to. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? All right, the first movie I watched this week was To Die For, which is a Gus Van Sant film he made before Goodwill Hunting, starring Nicole Kidman, Matt Dillon, and two very young Joaquin Phoenixes. Two, <laughs> two very so young. Two, two Joaquin Phoenixes. <laughs> two very young superstar actors, Joaquin Phoenix and Casey Affleck. They were like 19 when they made this movie. And it's just, it's a dark comedy that I've loved for a long time. I've seen it a few times, and they just added it to Criterion. So I was like, fuck yeah, I'm putting that on. Gus Van Sant's one of the most underrated American directors of all time. Absolutely. Unbelievable director. And this film is about Nicole Kidman's character who is this very um, motivated person who wants to find as much success as quickly as possible. And she's willing to uh, kill to get that done. And it's just an amazing dark comedy, absolute powerhouse performance by Nicole Kidman. Just dominates. It's so funny. And the tone of it is like just so precise. Man, I really love it. It's very charming too. How many stars did you give it? I gave it four stars. Nice. My first watch of the week was... Oh, I gotta read it. Oh yeah, read a review. Nicole Kidman could get me to kill someone too. 
Hold on, say it again. <laughs> Nicole Kidman could get me to kill someone too. <laughs> say it again. <laughs> I think you keep stuttering. Nicole Kidman could get me to kill someone too. Gotcha. <laughs> you get it now? One more time. <laughs> Shut up. I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> no, you went. Nicole Kidman could get to be. That's <laughs> not at all. I said it perfectly it twice. It's exactly what it sounded like. I, that's, I, I literally s- didn't even say that. I rewound the tape. <laughs> <laughs> I also wrote, you're not anybody in America if you're not on TV. That's one of the quotes from the film that I love. And I wrote, Kidman gives her one of her trademark brilliant performances in Gus Van Sant's wild, dark comedy featuring an early breakout role from Joaquin Phoenix. More so him because Casey's just a kind of a very small minor character. Great. You gotta check it out. My first film of the week was Amores Peros. This is the directorial debut of the great Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu. I have never seen this film before. I was really excited to check it out. It's been on my watch list for a while. Stars uh, Gael Garcia Bernal as well. Very early role for him. Five stars. This movie blew my hair back. It's I don't. Whenever people talk about directorial debuts, if I ever talk about them again, I ha- I'm putting this in like one of my favorites ever. This is exceptional. I never. I didn't know it was his first movie. First movie. Yeah, because I've seen it a few, t- a couple of times, but I didn't know it was his first one. It's so brilliant. It's it's so well directed. And uh, he made it down to Mexico. So my review for five stars is, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. It's a line from the film. Few movies pull you towards the screen like a magnet from start to finish. Amores Peros is a strong fucking magnet. Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu made one of the most astounding directorial debuts with this film. And the brilliance of his innate abilities of storytelling are on full display. Amores Peros tells the stories of three characters whose lives become randomly connected and changed forever by a car crash. Bold, ambitious, and emotional. Also, an early film for Scorsese's regular cinematographer, Rodrigo Prieto, and the legendary musician, Gustavo Santaolalla. All three of them are part of this film, which obviously means that this is going to be an exceptional movie. And it really is. I was blown away. It's dark. Uh, If you love dogs and you can't really see... Violence to animals or dogs, I recommend, you know, maybe skipping this one if, like, it's too much for you to bear scenes like that because there uh, is a lot of violence to animals in this film. But it is such a powerful story. It's so real. And I loved it. It was was incredible. I can't recommend it enough. Hell yeah. Next up, I have Catch. Now, it's not Catch. It's uh, French. C-A-C-H-E. Which means... Wait, what's it mean? Like I have to empty my my <laughs> my cash. <laughs> Hold on, it's like a it's like a a, a bundle, right? Or like no, a, no, it's um, it's a, it refers to the movie. Sorry, once I forgot. Hidden, hidden. Um, I wrote. There's only one Haneke. He doesn't give a shit about the rules, and that makes him an absolute titan of cinema. I gave it five stars. I've seen it a couple of times. It was my third watch of it. It's about this this couple who began receiving videotapes on their doorstep. Now, this is 2000, so... <laughs> videotapes. Explain videotapes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the, the tapes um, revealed just someone recording their home in different angles, and then eventually more intimate stuff. And they don't know who it's from. They're also getting packages in the mail of horrific artwork and like bloody artwork so they're just terrified and and it's about them trying to figure out who's sending all this stuff to them like this this stalker or this person who was terrorizing them in some they don't know what's going on it's just an amazing suspenseful film 
has an amazing has a great twist and it's one of those films where it's like it's like Fight Club where even though you know the twist it's still great to watch it again you know what I mean because it's just so well done cuz you've seen it before yeah and it's when you know the twist it's still just 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 to watch how Haneke directs cuz I think he's a modern master it's just a sensational movie so check it out Juliette Binoche one of my favorite actors is on the lead in it awesome sounds sounds excellent I'm going to have to add that to watch this. It reminds me of Creep, the Duplass Brothers movie. Yeah, it's similar. In terms of like getting yeah. packages. Yeah, yeah. Like parts of, yeah. of that film of yeah. like who's who, he's sending me weird yeah. stuff, like filming me and stuff. Very cool. My next watch was a movie I've been trying to get around to, finally did, Infinity Pool. Now, this was done by David Cronenberg's son. Brandon. Brandon Cronenberg. And it came out last year starring... Alexander Skarsgård and Mia Goth. I gave it three stars, and my review is: the irony is, I'm sure everyone in this went to an exclusive luxury resort after filming with their salaries. Now, <laughs> I I was roped in for the first 35 minutes of this movie. Sold. I thought it was an excellent concept, and I I was on board with the thematic elements, the metaphors, you know, what the movie's saying basically. In terms of yeah, the big the main metaphor. cool themes. Yeah, I don't want to. I guess I don't want to spoil the movie with the metaphor. Yeah, but it has to do with luxury resorts. In it's a classism thing. Tropical locations yeah. and and basically, I mean, it's not really a spoiler, but like showing the social class and disparity of you know wealthy people who visit resorts in these amazing locations, but the locals can't access the resorts. Basically, that's kind of a thematic element and basically just draining that country or the island or wherever the resort is of the lifeblood. Basically, it's like. Our home is your playground. Yeah, is basically the, to wealthy people. Basically, now I, the pro, I sometimes have this problem specifically with Hollywood, where I see hypocrisy and everything. And I mean, I, I I I understand what the messaging is, and I get it. And it's always really good to have messaging like this in movies. But you know, when you know you understand how much money people get paid in Hollywood, and they've all probably been to these luxury resorts and they're making a movie about luxury resorts and how terrible they are, the metaphor for it. I'm just like, yeah, but you guys are part of that too. So and Nepo babies so too. It takes me out of it <laughs> when I'm watching that. And I thought it was really well directed for the most part. And I'm excited to see his career going forward. Uh, Brandon Cronenberg's huge fan of David Cronenberg's films, but you know, sometimes it just takes me out of it when it's like, yeah, but like you're the same. Like when I, like every Disney movie, the last five years, they make, uh, statements about capitalism. I'm like, it's fucking Disney, though. <laughs> like, okay, you guys um, build merchandise yeah. across the country for pennies. <laughs> but um, so that took me across out of the it. world. I mean, and it it just didn't nail the third act. I think, but I still liked watching it. I thought it was a solid movie. Three stars. That's sixty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. You could say so. Six out of ten. You know, it's still a pretty good movie. And I think it's his second movie, right? Yeah. So I thought it was a, it's a really solid second movie. And it had the great, great 30, first 35 minutes. I was on board, but then just... Great first act. Yeah, it just slowly, yeah. Uh, slowly lost me. Next up, I have Everybody Wants Some. I gave it four stars. This is Richard Linklater's film, which came out in 2016. And I wrote, Linklater always hits. This one was made for the boys. <laughs> didn't someone request this? Or we talked about it last week, didn't we? We talked about it last week. It was on someone's top four. That's right. Someone, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then um, Cody was like, "Dude, watch it." And I was like, "Okay." What's on Cody's top four? It's yeah. It's it's one of Cody's favorite movies. Gotcha. It's his um not his top four, but it's just one of his favorites. Okay. And so I watched it, and it was just it's just great. It's just Linklater. It's the closest thing he's done to Days Confused. Mm -hmm. It's about this baseball team, a college baseball team, and the three days they have leading up to 
the beginning of the school year and they all just moved into their their house off campus and it's just about them fucking being guys and partying and let's and go young, young people, boys basically young people just partying and trying to hook up and having fun and and just meeting people and it's so much it has the same dna as days and confused like that where does it take place you said in america in america right yeah in america yeah um, say what state I fuck. I can't remember. Sorry. For Glenn Powell's in it, right? Powell's in it, yeah. yeah. And Zoe Deutsch is in it. It's okay. Um, it doesn't matter. I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I can't remember. But yeah, it's just some some Midwest college. Uh, but it's really fun and it's hysterical. It's definitely from the male perspective, but not like in a bad way. It's more of just like, hey, there's nothing wrong. Yeah, um, there's being, nothing wrong. Yeah, with guys, exactly. Stories yeah. about guys. I know. Yeah. I, I say. I, I feel. You don't have to defend. I feel it. cautious saying male perspective. It's the world we live in now. It's You're just a like, fucking guy. I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. Yeah, you can't be like, well, this movie's told from <laughs> like, about men. About, what? Like the main character's a guy, but like he's he sucks. He's an asshole. It's, like, <laughs> it's okay. We can tell stories about guys. So, but it's it's like for you would love it because. There are so many little Cause things. Because I'm toxic? Yeah, because you're a toxic <laughs> man. You're a toxic white straight man. <laughs> you piece of shit. <laughs> Get out of here. Oh, I love it then. <laughs> but Because um, we played baseball growing up. And when you're on a team, you do things when you're with your with your teammates. Not pl- we're not playing the game, but like when you're hanging out. And, and in college, it's like it depicts college life and athletic life really well. In terms of the social dynamics of them. You know what I mean? Like little things you're doing or like how you guys live in the house. And just like how they talk. It was just like like the games, little games you play. Like trying to break each, like snap, hit each other's knuckles. Remember that? Yeah. Bloody knuckles. And just all these little things. And I just felt like I was watching like thing, like little memories from my life. It was really cool. Oh, I got to check this out. Yeah, soon. you would love it. Thanks for the wreck, Cody. Moving on to, is, there, is your next watch indie? Yes. So we both watched Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny next. I gave it three stars, and my review is ugh. Now, <laughs> <laughs> just ugh, ugh, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> We're going to be doing a review of this in the next week or so, so I, I maybe just a quick recap. I was, you know, you know, you all know how much we love Indiana Jones and the original trilogy especially, and you know what? Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I think it's better. Throughout the years, it's not as bad as I remember the last time I watched it, but obviously there are parts of it that are ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And that everyone shits on, you know, justly. It's still overall solid. But this movie, it just felt like such a cash grab. I mean, Indy had the best send-off ever, I think, with, or he could have ever gotten with Crystal Skull. I mean, he gets married to Marion, the love of his life, in front of his son, Mutt, in church, in like a chapel or whatever, and he's happy, you know, family and happiness, you know. Family. The two most important things in life, really. And Indy had them, and then of course everything gets taken away from him. They took to make a reboot of of a yeah. of, of a character that is very old, and they definitely emphasize that. Um, so I I think it's just I didn't love the movie. I really didn't, and I kind of went into it with low expectations already. But it's I was disappointed. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna BS you all. I was very disappointed by Dial of Destiny, and it just seemed like an unnecessary cash grab. I mean, to put four hundred million dollars into that film. Was it worth the investment? Should they have done that to take Indy away? Get, to take away Indy's happy ending like that? I did not love it because I think it ended so well. Whether you, you like Crystal Skull or not, ending it with him with his family reunited. It's a good ending. It's a perfect ending. Yeah. You know, those are the things that matter in life: family and being happy and togetherness. And it's gone. Yeah, and and they kind of I don't want to spoil it, but yeah, I was yeah. I was let down. I wrote I gave it three stars as well, and I'll just read my review because it's it's pretty lengthy. And- 
It's lengthier than Ugg. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, I'm not even going to waste my time. Unfortunately, Indy's final adventure is far from triumphant in this lackluster farewell. While the film definitely had some great moments, it was completely lacking in the escapist fun and thrills of the masterful Spielberg films. I was surprisingly bored by the majority of the story and was shocked by the amount of CGI and green screens used in each action sequence. I like James Mangold, but Spielberg's genius-level creativity behind the camera was sorely missed. Just like Mutt in the last film, Helena and Indy lacked any sense of chemistry or charm when they eventually joined forces. There was a fun surprise in the third act, which ended it far too quickly. It could have been really interesting if they had committed to the big twist early in the film. All that said, however, Harrison Ford is still the fucking man and can somehow still mount a horse or throw a punch like a man half his age. Ultimately, it was nice to see Indy back on the big screen. Just make sure to keep your expectations modest. Yeah, and, you know, I'm not going to be the person that just because something exists, does it means it's amazing and awesome. It's our namesake. It's not yeah. like we wanted it to be bad. I wanted it to be yeah. my favorite movie of the year, honestly. But it's just, my opinion is a lot of these Disney movies, whether whatever franchises, they're all kind of feeling the same, oh, kind yeah. of morphing into oh, yeah. each other. Oh, yeah. Whether Star Wars, Marvel, or indie, it just feels like they're all feel, they all feel the same now. Let's just uh, take the heroes from the past, strip them down, take everything away from them, and make them shells of themselves. Hey, man. That's the, that's the Disney trend. That's what we got to do. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Next up, I'll go again because um, I still have two more films. In do here. it, man. Do it. I have Mike Nichols, The Graduate. Oh, fuck yeah. An all-time favorite of mine. Which, uh, came out in 1967. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Almost 60 years old. This is an early film. This is an early classic film that I remember watching as a teenager that really got me to fall in love with movies. Um, so I, I have a place in it close to my heart. Because when I saw it, I was like, I've never seen a movie like this before. So I wrote, possibly the greatest coming-age film ever made. A remarkable blend of comedy, incredible artistry, tense drama, and tender romance. The film is loaded with impressive cinematography and editing, while featuring one of the most stunning montages of all time. On top of that, we get Dustin Hoffman's breakout role and a wonderful soundtrack. I've adored this film since I was a teenager, and it gets more interesting with, re- with rewatches. Ben, I got one word for you. Plastics. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, it's a really incredible film. Dynamic filmmaking and editing cinematography, like I said in the review. It's just like when you watch this, because coming-of-age films, they're rarely very creative, you know, or artistic. And this mm. film, holy shit, man. It's got such great transitions and edits and shots and that montage, it really is, it happens at the end of the third act, at the end of the first act. It's just one of the most incredible montages still I've ever seen. It's really remarkable. In the third act, it's excellent. Plus Simon Garfunkel's music. Oh, yeah. Great, great movie. My next watch was Denis Villeneuve's On Sunday. He made this in 2010. I gave it five stars. This is my review. Profoundly powerful in a masterclass in storytelling with a shocking twist you'll never see coming. Can love transcend the most horrific tragedies? Now, this story tells two stories. This movie tells two stories. One from the perspective of a Lebanese woman who has twins, a boy and a girl, fraternal twins, and she's on her deathbed, basically, and in her will, and this is present day, she asks her son and daughter to find their brother who they didn't know existed as well as find their father 
who they didn't know was still alive and give them each a closed envelope and a sealed envelope. And then after they accomplish this, they can open up the final envelope that was included with the will, which will allow them to bury her with a headstone and everything. Otherwise, they can't bury her. And so the story follows the daughter and son, the twins, as they go to Lebanon and try to track down the father and the brother separately and then together, as well as the half, other half of the film is about the woman, their mother, in her youth, what her life was like growing up in Lebanon during civil war and unrest there. And then eventually her journey to how she got to America, but also the horrific tragedies she experienced and the many deaths she witnessed and the many times she almost died. It is insanely powerful, tragic, heartbreaking. And like I said, the twist is insane. You'll never see it coming. It's one of my one of the most jarring twists I've seen in a movie before. And it's just a master class in filmmaking. And Denis Villeneuve is a master storyteller. The imagery in this film is shockingly artistic and tragic at the same time. Like uh, the poster features the fire. her crying yeah. with the, the bus on fire in the background. And when you finally understand what happened in that scene, yeah, oh my God. It's it's a tough movie to watch, but it's so well made. It was the first Villeneuve movie I ever saw, and I didn't know who he was. Um, it was just, it got a, it got a, a great festival award when it came out, and so I, I, rent, I rented it on Netflix or something, and I remember watching it and just being absolutely floored. Um, it wasn't his first movie, though. Um, no, poly, he made like four movies. Yeah, he, he made, made four movies. His first, this. His, yeah, his first feature was Polytechnic. Um, but this is just a, a, an incredible film. But it got him a lot of recognition. Like, this is a big movie for his career, and it's really insane. Yeah, and so it's called, it's Unsandi. That's how you pronounce it, but it's spelled Incendi. So I N C E N D I E S. So I highly recommend checking that out ASAP. It's funny. You did that because I actually watched Arrival next. No way! Yeah, <laughs> we both watched Villeneuve movies on the same night and didn't even know it. <laughs> so, I gave Arrival four and a half stars and wrote, It's a stunning and emotional exploration of communication and time. Villeneuve showcased his impressive abilities in the sci-fi genre to great effect and wisely chose to rely on the remarkable Amy Adams to carry the weight of the film's intimate and human themes on her shoulders. Top-notch production and sound design create a mysterious and frightening tone, culminating in a devastating conclusion. Also, another movie with a great twist. Um, I've This is the fourth time I've seen this movie. It's just really incredible. It's a, one of the better, better sci-fi films of the last decade. I, I did get some flack for not giving it five stars, though. I got a bunch of DMs. <laughs> George went after me. I think it's one of George's favorite movies. Yeah, That's why. George, went out, George Carmen went after me. All in good fun, though. But I w- God damn, George Carvey, how dare he? <laughs> Four and a half, why'd you hate it? <laughs> JK, we love, we love George. Yeah, it's still 9 out of 10, you know, basically. Um, but I will say I just can't give it a perfect 10 because it is a, it can be a little too bleak at times, a little too cold. Um, and then also, I just don't think it's a... I don't think it's a good idea for Luis to start teaching the heptopod language to people. After she learns it, because there's that montage of the future where she's like teaching courses on it. Don't spoil Be- it too much. Everyone's seen it. Um, all right, if you haven't seen it yet, spoiler, spoiler. I just don't think that's a that's a good idea because 
she has the the mental strength and emotional maturity to deal with the understanding that you know her future is tragic, and she accepts that and she embraces that. That's the beauty of her character. But I think there's so many people, the majority of people, and I'm probably one of them. If I know my, if you know your future is horrible, has a huge tragedy, or is not is not a good one, that'll make you change the way you behave, and it could set off like this butterfly effect of like chaos. You know what I mean? So I'm just that was like it's something like I'm not sure it's a good idea to teach the language to everybody. True, but also I don't look at it like it's your future; it's your past, present, and future all together in one in a circle. You know what I mean? So technically, your future is your past. True. I don't, but I don't think people could deal with it emotionally. Probably most not. people. Probably not. You know, what I mean? you know what I mean? But maybe it's necessary for. She's a very special person. Yeah. You know what I mean? To be able to understand it and, learn and to it. and to accept it. You know, embrace it. But maybe we've maybe not many people could even understand it going forward. But I get that perspective. I understand what you're, what you're saying. And also just and I, I'm not knocking. I gave it nine out of ten. I'm just saying with Renner and Adams, there's not much chemistry really before the ending of the film. You know what I mean? I would have liked to see a little bit more of them connecting emotionally. I get that. Yeah, yeah. I see. Versus like her knowing that they're most together. of their interactions are pretty. What's going on with the yeah, heptapods as well as talking about it afterwards yeah so i would have liked a little bit more emotional connection between them before she understands that they're going to end up together yeah you know and, what that, I mean? and that he's the father yeah i get that but i think it's good to keep it a mystery as well oh for sure for sure because it hits when you find out who he is really. yeah you don't want them flirting because then you're like oh the dad's him yeah yeah all right let's move into i'm in june now i mean july now for my next watch on july 1st i finally saw past lives in theaters it probably won't be there very much longer so if it's playing near you i can't recommend this movie enough it is my number one of 2023 so far i gave it five stars my review this is true cinema a story that feels real about people who feel real gorgeously shot on 35 millimeter film now you can tell this immediately when the movie starts and i picked it up on the theater there's I'm just sure like you, a texture to it there's a, you can tell man, yeah, man it just adds to it yeah makes it timeless Brilliantly acted by Great Ali and Tia Yu. Incredibly impressive directorial debut from Celine Song. This is her first film. You seldom feel so much warmth and love from a film. I'm starting to believe in Inyon as well. Aww. It's, Aww. A, it's a really, really beautiful movie. And I'm sure y'all have seen trailers for it. It's an A24 film. And I, I can't recommend seeing it in theaters enough. It's just such a great experience. We don't really get movies like this very often in Hollywood. And it's just such patient filmmaking. And Celine Song, like, wow, what a debut film. It was so impressive. It's one of my favorite debuts of like the last five, ten years, for sure. I love these kinds of movies. It tells a lot of people could relate to this in whether you're from South Korea or, or any country emigrating anywhere else, you don't have to just emigrate to America. You can be, you know, from China emigrating to Japan or vice versa. Anyone who's emigrated or immigrated can relate to this film. And it's a beautiful New York film, which we I feel like we haven't gotten that many recently, of like a classic New York story where, you know, the city is as much of a character as, as the characters themselves. Because the the city of New York City adds so much, as well as the city of Seoul, to this film. But it's a beautiful story about this connection. Or two connections, really. The connection between the two characters from Korea, South Korea, as well as the connection between 
the uh, the lead actress, the lead character, and her husband in New York. This is all in the trailer. Nora. She meet Nora and her husband, who she meets and marries in New York. And it's about her reconnecting with her childhood crush, childhood Sung. friend, childhood love. Yeah. And it's really beautiful. And I, few films in the last several years have really depicted the use of technology in our day-to-day lives effectively and incorporated into storytelling in a realistic and, and natural way. I think that this is up there, Decision to Leave as well, in eighth grade. Those are like the three best I can think of off the top of my head that have done it so well. And this will make you feel nostalgic to, you know, old like technology from like 2010s and <laughs> FaceTime. Early Skype days. Early Skypes, the old MacBooks. Those and, like first MacBook Air. <laughs> and, you know, I, I love filmmakers who aren't afraid to use smartphones or in technology in their movies in a realistic way and I hate watching movies in their present day where I'm like, where are the smartphones? All these people are walking around there. These four kids are going to school and they don't have smartphones in their hands. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> you got a group of teenagers and no one has a phone no one has hand? a phone out? Come on. <laughs> so I think it's really terrific filmmaking and storytelling. And I just adored it. It's going to leave theaters soon. It, it bombed. You know, $30 million budget. It's made like $4 million in the United States. So please go see it. It's incredible. Great, great review. Next up, the next one I saw, we saw together. Our next two we saw together. Jaws. Obviously, I gave it a five star rating, and I wrote from my review: "Smile, you son of a bitch." We saw it at the New Bev Theater in Hollywood, and it was fucking awesome. Sounded great, looked great. It was Tarantino's personal print, which was very clean. I didn't notice any dust or scratches on it at all. It was like a nice, nice print. Sounded so good. Yeah. When Quint scratched the chalkboard of his yeah. fingernails, it fucking hurt my ears. I've never experienced that like in a movie before. Yeah, and it's one of my most watched movies, and still I can just watch it endlessly. I still love it as much as I've seen as me- as much as I did the first time. And it's a really special film. And I mean, it's Jaws. You know, yeah. I also gave it five stars, so no need to go through that as well. And we've done an episode on it, so I highly recommend checking that out. All right, our next watch, we also watched at the New Beverly Cinema that night. So we watched Jaws at 2 p.m. matinee, and then we went to a midnight screening of Tron Legacy. And this movie has a serious cult following. I've never seen such a long line outside of the New Beverly Cinema. It went around the block. It was around the corner. And this was projected on 35mm film like everything is there, so it was so cool to see. I gave it four stars, and my review is this. Let me preface this by saying I love this movie. Tron Legacy has all the pieces of a generational science fiction film, but it can't completely deliver despite being cool as fuck. The visual effects are exceptional and still hold up today minus Clue's face. Now, when they first showed Clue's, I mean, uh, Sam Uh, Flynn's, I mean, Kevin Flynn's face in the flashback in the first act of the film when he's with his son, uh, (laughs) Sam, and he's leaving the house and he finally turns to the camera to say bye to Sam and we get a good shot of Jeff Bridges de-aged. The whole audience laughed because it just does not hold up. <laughs> it was bad. It does not hold up. It looks bad. Daft Punk's score blasted in the theater in the most magical way. Jeff Bridges is the fucking man. I miss... Far a, out, man. <laughs> yeah. I miss a good father and son story. Hollywood doesn't do it often anymore. The film's screenplay and pacing hold it back from greatness. And how was this never brought up as one of the great directorial debuts of the 21st century by Joseph Kaczynski? What he accomplished with a background in visual effects and even architecture is really astounding. This movie looks like it was made by a, like an accomplished filmmaker because it's complicated. The visual effects are stunning and 
they did some things I've never seen before. I've never seen a movie like this before. So I I really love this movie, although it's not perfect. It al- it's almost a great, great movie. It really is. All right. I gave Tron Legacy three and a half stars. I really like the movie. I don't really love the movie. Um, my review. What is do a- you mean? <laughs> Aside from spectacular visuals and an absolute banger of a score, Tron Legacy falls under the loose foundation of its weak screenplay. Half of this movie is fantastic and exciting, while the other half is a bit meandering and slow. This was almost a really excellent film, but it just missed the mark. Now, like you said, there's the screenplay. That's, that's what it was. The story, it had elements that really worked and then had elements that just didn't work. And um, the pacing is so off and the stakes are just like hard to make out until the conclusion of the film. You don't really, the thing is, you don't really know the st- the full stakes of the movie until the last 20 minutes when Clue, when Clue's army is revealed. And you're like, oh shit, if we knew that, if we knew that the real world was at stake earlier in the film, that conflict would have helped a lot more. Rather than it just being like kind of just like, oh, it's just he needs to get back. Um, and then character dialogue, um, kind of off and on, not that great. And there's a lot of exposition, too much exposition in my opinion. It opens with Bridges giving exposition to his son. Then it opens with another thing of exposition. And then with 10 minutes of exposition to open the movie. It's just like, it's too much. Um, and then throughout the course of the film, more and more exposition and unnecessary like like Sam telling Ke- Ke- his son Kevin like the 10 minute story of how he got locked in there like you don't we don't need all this it's like we, we're already here buddy let's get going like there's just so many moments of this film where I think they dumbed down the script too much for kids to make it easy for, for them to understand and follow everything where and then that just held it back um, so when the movie should have kept going forward it would just literally halt, hit her, halt her to a stop and just sit there for like ten minutes, and it, it lost its it lost its excitement, lost the juice. Yeah, we're gonna do a review of this uh, in the next couple of weeks, so stay tuned and give it a rewatch for when we uh, post the episode. I think in like two weeks. It has also a Matrix Reloaded problem, and Matrix Revolutions problem with you know Neo being able to do anything he wants in the Matrix, but really we never see that. He's just Superman, and also Kevin, we don't really see his great powers that he has in. The digital frontier in this program that he can do other than turning off the lights yeah and then until the end of the film so yeah. i wish we could have got more of what he was capable of yeah here in this world they could have made him like a neo like basically figure. yeah yeah so and I, also there's a huge missed opportunity for a religious aspect to the story of a creator living amongst its creations there's a mythos and a legend there and there's there could have been a really interesting um, theme of the film about religion and about a savior and then you could relate it to Kevin is Jesus and Sam is God you have a you have a God and God's son living amongst you that would have been a really interesting take on the film yeah I think just Disney has just yeah. taken out any movies that have any connections to yeah. any kind of faith or religion <laughs> specifically with Dial Destiny because it's the first indie movie that doesn't have anything to do with religion which is usually a motif in every single one of them and has to do has something to do with the the artifact or relic. But we're going to do a review of it because we still like the movie a lot and it's a banger. It's a fun watch. And it was, it was really cool to see it in a packed studio, a packed theater, midnight screening. Everyone was excited to see it. It was oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool experience. And they played a trailer for The Matrix before. Oh, my God. It's, Look, oh, my God. I uh, can't wait to see it. Look, awesome. <laughs> it comes, <laughs> it comes, out this, comes out this year. All right. My final film that I watched was... 
12 Angry Men. Give it five stars. We're also going to be doing an episode on this very soon. My review is one of the greatest screenplays of all time, directed to perfection by an only 33-year-old Sidney Lumet. Every line of dialogue matters. Every action by the characters matter. The environment matters. Meticulously detailed in every element of the production. Can't wait to talk about it more in depth. I also gave it five stars because I watched it too in prep for our episode. I wrote, the greatest screenplay ever written. Expertly directed by Cindy Lumet. It's like yours. And perfectly acted by an impressive ensemble cast. This gripping drama showcases the power of judgment and the unwanted, unwarranted prejudices which keep us at odds with one another. This is the rare case of a film being set in real time. So we experience every second of the jury room's story with the characters, immersing us into the heated world of this murder trial. Lumet crafts the picture beautifully, using a series of incredible long takes juxtaposed with dynamic inserts and character portraits. So much detail is packed into this staggering, staggering conversation. The movie is basically a conversation. Think about that. It's crazy. While the future of a young man's life hangs in the balance, this truly is an all-timer and will continue to stand the test of time. Full podcast review next week. It was also remade by William Friedkin in 1997. Yes, it, w- it was Friedkin. It was a Demi. It was Friedkin. Friedkin. Yeah. James Gandolfini's yeah. in it. Yeah, it's got a great cast. Never I've never se- seen it. Never seen it, though. I don't really have an interest in seeing it. But apparently... It's, it's, it's very good. It has an excellent uh, it's got series. Great, yeah, it has great reviews, great yeah. IMDb score. He makes it up a little bit. He, he goes in the court a little more. Oh, interesting. I think. Um, all right, well... That wraps oh, our not done. letter. I'm oh, not you got done. oh you got another one. I'm not done. You watched a movie last night. Gotcha. I watched more than eight movies, bro. I'm a fucking professional. You got two more. <laughs> or you got one more. One more because I started. I'm starting and I'm finishing. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> I also watched Past Lives. I just came out of the theater actually, just fresh from it. Um, it's, it's an amazing movie. I gave it four and a half stars, and I wrote: Sometimes destiny and fate aren't meant to be. The choices we make in life, no matter how trivial or small, set us down the path where we end up. And romantic notions like faded lovers cannot survive that path. Childhood soulmates, get it? Soulmates Soul. could grow up together. Soul, South Korea. <laughs> or, yeah, that's it. or a pair of writers could just happen to be at the same place at the same time and spark a conversation. Celine Song's powerful tale of impossible love and encountering the past carries an immense weight of humanity, nuance, and raw honesty. Superb performances from the three lead actors fill us with understanding and empathy, while the patient cinematography and editing immerse us into the world of these characters. America is a beautiful boiling pot of so many wonderful cultures, and sometimes two people from completely different worlds find themselves united in those truly human feelings of connection and love. And sometimes the past pulls you down from your highest moment, making you question the choices you made. Past Lives is one of the only true great, truly great films of the year so far, so please go and see it before it leaves theaters. All right, that wraps Letterboxd That's Recap. It, yeah. Really glad you enjoyed it. But yeah, see Past Lives before it's out of theaters, everybody. It's it's that good. It's exceptional. Um, episodes this week, we had... Yesterday, we posted our episode on our 10 favorite international films we did with our friend Martin McFly. We each went through our top 10 favorites. It was a great episode, and I'm sure it will be a good opportunity for a lot of you to fill up your watch list with movies to get into that you maybe haven't seen before. Lots of international, non-English-speaking movies. And then this week coming up on Thursday, we have an episode that Anthony's editing that was... What do we do? 
Everybody gets it. <laughs> Succession, we did a whole series recap and review, breaking down the characters, the seasons, as well as our favorite moments, favorite episodes, favorite scenes, funniest scenes, most cringe scenes, a lot involving Kendall and Tom and Greg. <laughs> so it was that, a good episode. That was a lot of fun. It was, it was a great one. I actually have to edit it today. I haven't done it yet. Yeah, you better go on it, man. I know, you it's, got plenty it's of Monday. Time. Yeah, it's, it's Monday. Yeah, it's Monday. But um, other than that, thanks so much for tuning in to Letterboxd Recap. Take care, everybody, and have a great week. See you next time. Raiders of the Lost podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.